last week, we looked at our first I am statement, and we saw how Jesus is the bread of life. We, we learned that we can never substitute the material for the spiritual. We can never su- substitute the temporary for the eternal. And, and today, like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 10 primarily, where we find our second I am statement. In fact, John chapter 10 actually has two I am statements. So we're going to be in John chapter 10 today. And again, next week, next week, we're going to uh, see how Jesus is the gate for the sheep. Um, but today we're going to see how Jesus is the good shepherd. Um, one of my, my favorite statements uh, of these I am statements. So we've seen uh, two weeks ago, we, we dug into that statement, I am. Well, what does that mean? What, what, what was God trying to declare in Exodus 3 as he said, hey, this is my name. My name is I am who I am. What, what does that mean? And if you weren't here for that, man, go back and check the podcast. You can go to citychurchlb.com and get that. I think it'll build a great foundation for you as we go through this. But, but seven times in the book of John, Jesus makes these unique I am statements, these statements that aren't recorded anywhere else in the gospel, that he says, I am, and follows it up with something else. Last week we saw, like I said, that he is the bread of life. Next week we'll see how he is uh, the the gate for the sheep. We're going to look at how he is the resurrection and the life on Easter Sunday. We're going to look at how he is the way and the truth and the life. We're going to see how he is the vine and we are the branches. So we're going to see all these different aspects of Jesus' character. But today we're going to look at John chapter 10, and we're going to dive right in. Starting in verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. Everybody say, I am the good shepherd. It says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, foreshadowing what he was going to do for us. Not just that he's a shepherd, not just that he is a good shepherd. There's probably a lot of good shepherds out there. Obviously, he was speaking to a very agrarian society and a society that was familiar with sheep. We see sheep and shepherds pop up throughout Scripture. And so Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I'm good at taking care of sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. Like, I'm not just a, but I am the. There's no other good shepherd like me. Why? He says, because I will lay down my life for the sheep. In other words, Uh, One of the shepherd's primary jobs, obviously, was to protect his flock, to keep his flock alive. And we saw, you know, back in the Old Testament, David, what does he do? He he confronts a lion and a bear to to spare his sheep. But but we don't actually see David going to -to hand-to-hand combat, right? Like, we don't see David, like, actually grabbing the bear by the neck and and, and slaughtering that thing with his bare hands. He's got a sling, and he gets to keep a safe distance. Well, Jesus says there's nothing safe about the kind of shepherd that I am. I don't get to keep a safe distance. distance. I actually have to lay down my life for my sheep. I'm actually going to go to the cross for you and for me. That's why I said this morning, he's just as worthy to worship today as any other day. No matter how cold it is outside, no matter how many of my friends happen to be touring the world on spring break, or or no matter what else is going on, man, Jesus laid down his life for me. And that means he's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my life. Verse 12 says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. In other words, there, there, there was a system where if you were a shepherd, you would, you would own a flock. And the actual one who owned the flock many times would take care of his sheep. But as the, as the flock reproduced and as it grew, it might get too big for the one primary shepherd. So he'd hire somebody else to come in and help out. But the hired hand didn't care about the sheep as much as the shepherd did. Hired hand was just there to, to punch the time clock, right? He's just there to, to, to make his paycheck. But the one who actually owned the sheep, he was the one who was going to lay down his life for the sheep. Hired hands weren't going to go die for the sheep. But the one who cared the most, the one who was most invested, 
the one who, who had the most to lose. He's the one who's going to die for you. You know Jesus is invested in your future. You know Jesus is invested in your success. You know there's nobody who wants you to do well in life more than he does. There's nobody who wants you to prosper more than he does. There's nobody who wants you to be well, who wants you to be blessed, who wants you to be healthy. There's nobody who wants the best for you more than Jesus. Why? Because he's not a hired hand. He's not a dude who just shows up to help out once in a while. He's the one who created you. He's the one who thought you. He's the one who laid out a path for your life. He's the one who died for you. Nobody wants the best for you more than he does. He says, so when he sees the wolf coming, speaking of the hired hand, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and he scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, Jesus says it again, verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd, <coughs> driving it home, building repetition into this passage. He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Notice how interesting this is. Jesus says, I know my sheep, which, which we get that part, right? But he says, my sheep know me. How well are, are we designed to know him? How intimate are we supposed to be with him? He makes a comparison to our relationship to him, to his relationship with the Father. Jesus and the Father exist in perfect unity as well as the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. In perfect unity. And he says, that's the way I've designed our relationship to work. Wow. Wow. Man, I haven't gotten there in my relationship with Jesus yet. I don't know if you have. I haven't reached that status where we're, where we're that one, where he's in me and I'm in him to that degree. But that's his, that's his plan. That's his purpose for us to get to that place. What an amazing comparison he makes. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, when he says that, he, he's speaking to a group of Jews, and when he says there's other sheep, he's referring to Gentiles. Right now, I'm the, you are my chosen people. You are God's chosen people. Well, we're about to expand this. We're, we're about to franchise. We're, we're about to take this from one little mom and pop shop, and we're going global with this thing. Now, when I was a kid and I read this, I thought this was proof of aliens. I'm not lying. I read this, and I was like, man, he's got other sheep from other sheep pens. See, they, they do exist. There is life out there. As I grew up and then got to understand what Jesus was actually referring to, I actually realized I was wrong. Wasn't maybe as exciting, but it's but it's better because he was talking about me. I'm not a Jew. So Jesus says, I got some other sheep I care about too. I got some other sheep that I'm gonna lay down my life for as well, and they matter to me just as much as my first sheep. What a great, great thing that he would do that for me. Verse 17, he says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. So he says, I'm not just gonna die. I'm, I'm coming back. I'm going to lay down my life for you, but that's not the end of the story. It doesn't end there. There's something beyond that. He says, nobody takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, there's so much in these verses that, that I wish we had time to unpack all of it. There, there's so much depth here. There's so much that Jesus is trying to teach us about his relationship to the father, about the death that he was going to, to experience, the, the things that we're going to celebrate five weeks from today on Easter Sunday. There's so much here, but, but I want to zoom in just kind of on that first statement in, in verse 11 and that he repeats again in verse 14, that I am the good 
shepherd. How many believe God is good? Let's just do, we'll just do show of hands. We'll just go old school. How many believe God is good, right? Okay, we got to be invested. We got to be connected. Well, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. See, we, we know that the gospel means good news. We, we sang about it, right, that, uh, that you make all things work together for my good. We sang that you are a good, good father. Those aren't coincidental songs that we happen to sing. Those are things that we intentionally chose today to, to begin to prepare your spirit for the truth that he is the good shepherd he's good he's good he's good he's so good in fact he he, he implies he says that i am the good shepherd and, and, and in saying that he is the good shepherd what he's also implying is that there is somebody who's not good that just because he wants the best for you that, that just because he wants the greatest things for your life don't mistake it and think realize you need to realize there's somebody else who who does not in fact, he, he doesn't just imply it, but he actually started this whole section by declaring it. If we, we jump back to ch- chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So, so he's talking about the spiritual enemy that we have. He says he's a, he's a thief and a robber. Now, if I had time to... To really get into this teaching, we could talk about how, how Jesus had to be born of a woman to come as a human that he would, could actually enter by, by, by the right way. In other words, the, the enemy exists here. He's here. He, he, he's been here from the beginning. We see him all the way back in the book of Genesis. But he didn't come in by the right way. He just came in spiritually, but God designed this to be a material world that, that's reflected in the spiritual. So the enemy's only here in the spiritual way, and so he's a thief and a robber. But he says, I came, I came through the right way. I came through God's design. I came in a way that you'll never experience, devil. And so he is just a thief and a robber. He's talking about our enemy, Satan, the, the prince of darkness who hates God and by extension hates God's people. And, and he says in verse 10, he tells us that that, that enemy's mission is to what? Is to steal and to kill, and to destroy. you got a target on your back. you got a target on your head. You might not realize it. You may not feel it. Your, your target may not be as big as somebody else's because you may not be actively building the kingdom right now. I think that target expands. The more of a threat that we become to Satan's kingdom, the bigger that target on our head comes. But, but regardless whether you're doing anything for the kingdom of God or not, if you are the child of God, there's a target on you because God loves you. Because God loves you immensely. Because God has laid down his life for you. Even if you're not a Christian, there's a target on you. Bad news for you too. Why? Because God loves you just as much. He died for you. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And so the enemy is out to, to hurt us because he can't hurt God. It's the only thing he knows to do where he can get to him. And so we, we see this, right? We, we see people who are sick in our world. We see families that are falling apart. We, we see marriages that are in trouble. We see kids out there making terrible decisions. And, and I believe at the root of all that, we find the thief. We find the robber who, who, who's up to no good. John 10, 10 just referred to it. It says the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But it doesn't stop there. It says I have come. Jesus has come. That they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus, the good shepherd, wants you to have life. That's his heart for you. That's his desire for you. So, so if Jesus is the good shepherd in this metaphor, who are we in this metaphor? 
Who are you? Your sheep, right? Like, okay, well, it's, not, it's not, not a trick question. Uh, we're, we're not the gate. We're not the fence. We're not the grass. We're not the staff or the hook. Like, we're, we're the sheep. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. We all get that, right? So, so if we are sheep, there's some implications there we're going to get into in just a moment as well. But, but, but understand this. Because of the love of God, Jesus wants you to have life. Uh, other translations say abundant life or, or one translation I found this week says he wants you to have a rich and satisfying life now when he says rich he's not talking about man he wants your your wallet or your bank account to be full although I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing in God's eyes and I think there are situations where well, that's definitely God's desire but but he says I want your life to be rich enriched I want it to be full I want it to be satisfying I want it to be deep and fulfilling and joyful amen amen that's what he wants for you. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. And we are his sheep. Now, what's interesting about sheep is sheep are mentioned in Scripture more than any other animal. Uh, dogs are mentioned a, a little over 40 times. Cats aren't mentioned at all unless you count lions, which, of course, are, are a specific kind of cat, which are mentioned a few times. In fact, Pastor Jason, my pastor, used to tell this joke. Uh, he, said, he said, dogs are mentioned in, in the 40s, uh, and, and cats aren't mentioned at all except for lions. And he says that the enemy... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he tried to make the point that cats are, are evil, right? Like cats are connected to the enemy. But, the, but, but he doesn't stop there, Vince, pastor. He doesn't stop there. He also says Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So me, cat lover, got to come to the cat's defense here. Uh, cats aren't just reflected poorly in scripture. Uh, there, there, there's some positive reflections as well, but but sheep are mentioned 200 and some times, and, and we are considered sheep, and unfortunately, that's not great news for us, because sheep are not the brightest. Uh, if you take animals by size, usually the, the size of an animal is going to correlate to their intelligence, not always, but certainly the size of the brain is going to correlate to their, their intelligence, and usually bigger animals have bigger brains, but sheep aren't that smart, and in fact, uh, you, you, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you can go to a circus and you can see all kinds of trained animals, right? You can see trained monkeys and trained dogs and trained elephants and trained tigers. You can even see a flea circus. They can even train fleas. Have you ever seen a trained sheep? Nobody's ever seen a trained sheep. Why? You can't train a sheep. Sheep are not very bright. You can't teach them to do tricks. They're not going to roll over and play dead. The only way you can get a sheep to play dead is to take a gun and shoot it. And you only get to play that game once doesn't turn out very well for the sheep. They're not the brightest. And so Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And by implication, he says, I'm sorry to let you know, but you ain't the smartest. But I'm here for you. I'm going to take care of you. It's a good, good thing. So let me give you four challenges of being a sheep. Four, four implications, four challenges for you and for me that we are sheep. Number one, sheep get lost easily. Sheep get lost easily if all the wives could say amen, right? Like my husband gets lost easily. He doesn't know where he's going. But, but in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, 6, it actually says this. It says that we all, like sheep, have done what? We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. All of us have done what? We got lost. In fact, lost, is, we are so much like sheep in this that lost is our default mode. Lost isn't actually a sheep's default mode. Sometimes they wander and they go astray, but we just get, we just born astray. We're just born lost. Without the shepherd, without the good shepherd in our life, there's, there's no hope for direction 
for us, we always get lost. It's, it's incredibly common for a sheep to walk away from the shepherd's fold and to think, okay, I'm, I'm going to go check this out. I'm going to go over this way. I think something over here is going to make me happy. I'm curious about this. I have to check this out. And the sheep finds out that they're not really good at making decisions. The reality is that's where many of us are. We're, we're trying to find our own way. We're trying to figure this life out on our own, but we keep making bad decisions. And let me say this. I don't think it's just lost people. I think there's a lot of us who, who are part of, of the flock, who, who are his sheep under the direction of the good shepherd, but we're trying to do it on our own too. We're, we're trying to find the solution without listening to his voice. What a shame to have a good shepherd and not take advantage of it. Secondly, way that we are like sheep and, and challenge of being a sheep is sheep are defenseless. This one's really interesting to me. If, if you think of this, Almost every animal has some kind of ability to defend itself. They, they've got claws, they've got fangs, they've got venom, they've got something to, to kick or to fly away or, or some way to protect themselves from predators and sheep. They got some teeth that aren't very sharp and some hooves that aren't very flexible. If you've ever looked at a sheep's leg, they're not getting that thing up very high. They, they got like maybe my flexibility on a kick. It's not going to help them out very much. They can't really defend themselves. And they got predators all over the place who are trying to get to them, and there's not a whole lot they can do. And listen, on our own, without the body of Christ, without the armor of God, without being under the protection of the, the, the good shepherd, we're a lot like that. We're pretty vulnerable. We're pretty susceptible. We're pretty defenseless to the attacks and the arrows of the enemy. So sheep get lost. They're defenseless. Number three, challenge of being a sheep is sheep are very stubborn. You can look at the person next to you and say, I think he's talking about you. Some of you, you're so stubborn, you wouldn't even do it, right? So if, if you didn't do it, I wasn't talking about the person next to you. I was talking about you. In fact, I, I read this this week that, that sheep are so stubborn that they can walk in between two, two rocks, if you go to the Middle East, it's a very rocky environment. Um, it, it's much like a desert, um, but it's not desert like sandy primarily. It's actually rocky primarily. And so out there, the, the sheep, they can wander between two rocks and get stuck. And sheep are so stubborn, they won't back up. They, they don't have a default re, uh, backing up mechanism they don't know how to go in reverse so so a sheep will get stuck and what happens when they get stuck they just push a little bit harder forward and wedge themselves in a little bit more and make their situation worse and I wonder how many of us are just like that we we, we get into some stuff and instead of realizing you know what this was the wrong way I need to go back the way I came and get back to where I started from we just dig in a little bit deeper Man, I'm, I'm going to try to make this relationship work just a little bit harder, man. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go just a little bit further with this thing. I'm going to dig my teeth in just a little harder into this sin. I'm going to stick myself in this habit, and we don't even realize that the good shepherd's calling our voice from behind and saying, just come back the way you came. Just come back to me. Here's where it's safe. Here's where your protection lies. This is... Like, like the guy who's like, man, I'm, I'm always out of money. I'm always, I'm always broke, man. Can we talk about it? Let's go to the mall and talk about it. It's like, all right, man, you're, you're a little stubborn. That's where the dumbness comes in as well. Or, or hate to go there, but we got to, right? It's the girl who's like, man, I, I always end up with the worst guys. 
We all know this girl, right? Like the one girl that's like, man, I'm all, only the worst guys date me. I'm always with the worst guys. Like, okay, baby girl, maybe you're fishing with the wrong bait. Maybe we need to change your approach here. What? Maybe we need to change the way that you select the guys that you go out with. Why? Because we get stubborn and we got to, oh, I'm, I just like the bad boys. Well, what happens when you like the bad boys? They do bad things, right? That you, you should be able to see it coming. And we're like sheep, even Christians, we're like sheep. We're lost often. We're defenseless. We're stubborn. Number four way that we are like sheep and that this is a challenge for us is sheep are filthy. It's not good news. Now, now if you've seen them on TV, you've got this picture of like the white little fluffy sheep, right, who's perfectly clean. That dude went through a pressure washer before they put him on TV. And in, in the natural environment, they nasty. If you actually see that wool does not come off the sheep white. Wool comes off the sheep very, very gray before they wash that stuff up. Why? Because they're dirty. They're gross. They're, they're not good at taking care of themselves. Now, we've got one cat. We used to have two cats. And, and, and when we had two cats, we had Homie who, who ran away, R.I.P., Miss you, homie. Um, so we had him first, and we got another cat named Amiga. Uh, and, and when we got Amiga, she was like four weeks old, so she was just a baby. And so homie actually groomed her. Like, homie, homie has, like, really high standards. Like, he's the prissy cat, right? And he's like, okay, girl, you ain't clean enough for me. So he would groom her all the time. So she got used to homie keeping her clean. And now homie's gone. And Amiga never really learned to take, herself, take care of herself. So she's got this long fur, and it just mats up, and it gets all nasty. And that's what sheep are like without a shepherd. They, they, they don't know how to take care of themselves. They don't know how to clean themselves. In fact, it's impossible for a sheep to clean itself. Christian, it is impossible for you to clean yourself. You got some junk. You got some addiction. You got some habit. Quit thinking it's your job to clean that up. It's the shepherd's job. Now, you got to cooperate with him, and you got to be close enough to him where he can clean it. you got to listen to him. you got to come to him when his voice calls. He's not going to do it from a distance. But you can't clean yourself up. How many, how many people out there? In fact, we got a phone call last week from somebody who was looking for a church for a friend. And, and, and this guy said, man, this person, they got a bunch of tattoos, and, and they're, they're a single parent, and they got some kids. And they just want to make sure that they're not going to be judged. And it breaks my heart that that's even a thing. It breaks my heart that people who are far from God even have to ask that before they come into the presence of God's people. This should be the most welcoming, the most, the most guilt-free, the most judgment-free place that there could ever be. Just like Dan talks, man, when you're close to the Father, there is no condemnation, right? Well, if there's no condemnation close to him, there shouldn't be condemnation close to us. Now. I could say with pride, you know what, I don't think they have anything to worry about coming to City Church. And I'm grateful that, that man, there, there's a lot of things we could do better at City Church. That's one thing I think we do pretty well. And I'm grateful for that. But it breaks my heart that the body of Christ has even earned that reputation that because I look a certain way or because I've got some mistakes in my past, that that's going to keep me from being welcomed by the place that can get me closer to God. It's, it's so, so sad to me. But sheep, we're dirty and we can't clean ourselves. We're filthy. That's why it's really good news when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, what I want to do with the, the rest of our time together is I want to show you four incredible qualities of the good shepherd. Talk, talked about our qualities as the sheep, but I really want to focus in on his qualities as the shepherd. And, and I pray that God would help you to connect these to your heart, that you can a- apply them 
in the way that you live every single day. So, so the first quality of the good shepherd is the good shepherd guides. The good shepherd guides. Everybody say the good shepherd guides. Psalm 23, perhaps the, the most famous chapter in all of scripture, the most famous six verses, the ones that have perhaps been memorized in, in succession more than any other section of scripture, perhaps besides the Lord's prayer, says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd in verse 1 and then verse 23, or 23 verse 3 says he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Have you ever had to make a big decision in life and you don't know what to do? I've been there. You ever, you ever faced that large decision? What I believe is that if you will seek the Lord, if you will seek the shepherd, he'll guide you in that decision, that he will make sure that you know the direction to go. In, in John chapter 10, Jesus puts it this way. He says in verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, him being the good shepherd. And gatekeeper in this case is God, the Father. And, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought us out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jesus goes ahead of you. What an awesome awesome thing. He, he's already in the midst of that decision. He's already on the other side of that decision. He already knows the blessing of choosing wisely or, or, or the pain of choosing unwisely, but he's already there. He's already arrived there for you, and he's calling you to him, and, and, and this is so powerful. It says that the sheep know the voice of the good shepherd. Now some of you might say, okay, BT, I, I don't know the voice of the shepherd. I'm ne I've never heard God speak. I've never heard an audible voice, and and, man, it's kind of crazy to me that you would even say that. Well, let, let me ease your concerns maybe a little bit. I've never heard the audible voice of God either. Doesn't mean it can't. Doesn't mean he doesn't speak audibly. In some instances, I believe that he does. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I can tell you I have absolutely heard the voice of God. I've heard God speak through his Holy Spirit into my spirit. I've, I've heard him speak through his word. I've heard him speak through, through many of you into my life. I've heard him speak through worship. I've heard him speak in, in so many times in so many different ways. And, and the closer that we get to him, the more that we tune in to his voice. And here, here's what I believe. I know a lot of times people might say, man, I haven't heard God speak in a long time. And, and when we're in that place, I don't think it's that God's not speaking. I think it's that we're not hearing. Right? I, I don't think God stops speaking to you because he's mad at you or because you strayed from him. I just think sometimes when, when, I, when I get too far away from him, my, my my tuning goes out. I'm tuned into a different station. I'm hearing a different voice. I'm hearing something else. And so it's not that God's not speaking. We, we, we see in the Old Testament, right, that it's, it's a still, small voice. God didn't speak through the earthquake to Elijah. He didn't speak through the wind. He didn't speak through the fire. He spoke through the whisper. And the only way you hear the whisper is when you lean in. You say, man, I'm trying to tune out everything else so I can hear that. But his sheep hear his voice that's a, that's a confident declaration that Jesus has so so you're here and, and you say I, I, I don't know God's voice I don't know what it sounds like I've never heard his voice there, there's two possibilities and let me illustrate this with a with a hypothetical story for you if you were to walk into a room full of 50 women what, what would you most likely find you'd likely find most of them talking right let's just be honest women have more words than men we know this scientifically is true I know I'm like a woman in this event so I'd be right there talking with you but 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 most women are, are more wordy some of them are quieter but as a rule women talk more than men so you go into the room with 50 women most of them are talking and if I told you hey uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna put a blindfold on you and I want you to find my wife Melody 
Most of you in this room probably wouldn't be able to find Melody out of 50 voices talking. It might take you a little while before you did. Now, if you put me in the same room and put a blindfold on me and 50 women are talking and said, hey, go find Melody, I'd find her pretty quick. You know why? Because, man, there's no voice like her voice for me. There's no voice that I recognize. There's no voice that I fear. There's no voice that I connect with at the same level as the voice of my wife, right? Why? Because we spend a lot of time together. We've been married seven years. We've been together eight years. We've had a lot of experiences together. I know and recognize her voice. And if you put any, any spousal situation in this room in that same hypothetical, you'd probably find the same thing, that, that you can find that voice very easily. So if you can't find the voice, you don't recognize the voice of Jesus above, above the voices of the world, above the voices of, of daily life, above the voice of the enemy. If you don't recognize his voice, there's two possibilities. One is you just never met him. But two is you just haven't really spent much time with him. Because if you begin to spend time with him, you naturally begin to recognize his voice. It's just the way that it works. And his design is for you to know his voice. His design is for you to be able to pick his voice out among all the other voices of life. All the other voices of the chronicle that when he speaks, oh, that's my daddy's talking. That's my shepherd talking, and he's good, and even though I want to do this thing, he said no, and so I know he's not going to tell me not to do it because he's good, so, so, so if he's telling me not to do it, I need to listen. I need to tune in. If he's going to lead me this direction, and that direction looks harder and looks more challenging, there must be something just around that corner that I'm not aware of, and so I'm going to follow his voice because my shepherd is good. So, so when you have that d- difficult decision to make, man, should I, should I take a job in another city? It's a challenging decision that, that many people I know have faced or do I stay here should I, should I keep dating this person or should we break up should we try to have more kids or should we park it where we're at should, should we start getting involved in ministry or, or, or should we kind of chill for a little while when we're asking those types of questions those big questions here, here's what I'd recommend you do go to God and, and, and speak the word back to them Father, I know that Jesus is the good shepherd and that he says he speaks to me, that he leads me, that he guides me. And so I thank you that, that he guides and I choose to follow. So I'm just asking you, God, to tune me into his voice. Help me to recognize the voice of my good shepherd in this situation and then put the decision out in front of him. God, I need wisdom about this move. I need wisdom about this job. I need wisdom about this college. I need wisdom about this relationship. God, I need your wisdom and thank him in advance. I know that you're the good shepherd and I know that you guide me. Now, that is good news. Here's the bad news. If you ask him to guide you, now you got to follow him. That's right. Come on, girl, preach. You ask him to guide you, now you're going to have to listen to what he has to say because most of the time we already have a decision in mind that we want to make, and we're just looking for that one person who will tell us what we want to hear, and that's why we end up getting advice from the stupidest places, right? Like, like we, we want to make a decision about our financial future, and we go to the person who's $40,000 in debt. What would you do? In it? Oh, man, go get that, girl. You deserve that new car. Thank you. Thank you. I knew it. Right? Like, oh, my, my husband's treating me bad. I'm thinking about leaving him. And we go to somebody who's been divorced three times. They're like, what are we thinking? Why? Do we go? Why? Because we're looking for them to tell us what we want to hear. Jesus will not necessarily tell you what you want to hear, but he will always tell you what you need to hear. So open your, your ears and ask him to speak. And if you do, he will speak. He will guide you. So the good shepherd guides. Number two, the good shepherd provides. 
Our God is a God who provides. Psalm 23 again says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Whoa. Whoa. That's strong. Right? The old King James, we all memorize it, and it says, I shall not want, and that can mean a lot of different things, right? Well, I'm not going to have any false desires. But, but it's more direct than that. It's I don't lack. I've got everything that I need. It doesn't say everything that I want, but everything that I need. I, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I love that imagery. He, he says, I make you lie down in green pastures. Now, how often do you see a sheep lying down? Now, your answer to that question is probably, I don't see a lot of sheep. Uh, and that's the same way I would answer that question. So, so let me go further. The answer to that is sheep don't lie down very frequently. If, if you're around sheep all the time, if you're a shepherd, you would know sheep are, are not often going to lie down because they'll only lie down if they have three needs met first. It's like if you go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like they've got their three basic needs before they can get to the lying down need. The first is they have to be well fed. If they ain't full, they ain't sitting down. Right? You just like, you know, sheep is like a, a person on Thanksgiving. They get their, from their stomach full, now they're ready to sit down, but they got to be full first. Secondly, if they're not getting along, if there's strife in the flock, they will not lie down. If there's tension, if there's chaos, if there's stuff going along in the flock, they will not lay down. Thirdly, they, they have to feel safe. There's no predators around. I know that, that there's nobody lurking around the corner. If any of those needs are not met, a sheep will not lie down and rest. But in the presence of the good shepherd who leads them besides or into green pastures, they're full. Their needs are met. Their stomach is full. And in his presence, he brings unity. He breaks up the fights in the flock. He, he helps the sheep to get along. And, and some of us, we need the good shepherd to come into our home and to break up some strife. It's intention. Some of us, we need the good shepherd to protect us, to be our defender. We need the good shepherd to, to help us to rest. You know, almost every night I, I speak this, we're, we're in a situation, we got a one-year-old who still doesn't sleep through the night. Uh, and, and so some nights she might make up once, some nights she might wake up four times. So, so we claim almost every night in prayer before we go to bed that God's word says he give, grants rest to those he loves. And we're standing on that promise. We're claiming that promise because we need some rest in this out household and we know that he loves us. And so, so even if we're not sleeping our eight hours, we're believing that he's still giving us rest, even in the midst of, of that lack of sleep. But God is out to bring us rest. The good shepherd wants to bring you rest. And then it says that he leads you beside still waters, between quiet waters or aside quiet waters. Why? Why quiet? Because a sheep will not get in and drink out of rushing water. If, if, the, if it's moving quickly, they won't. Why? Because they know that they'll get washed away and they can't swim. So sheep will only come and drink from still waters. They need water that they know that they can confidently bend down and drink out of. Now, wh why is that good news for us? Because Jesus is the living water. He's the one that we're called to drink from, right? We actually find that as well in the book of John just a few chapters before. And, and then it says, he refreshes my soul. I love this. God is such a good provider for you. He's not just out to provide for you materially, although I think he cares about our material needs. But God knows you got deeper needs than that. And he wants to restore and refresh your soul. Some of you right now, you may have everything that, that anybody could want on the outside. That Somebody could look at you and say, man, they got it made. They got it all, but there's no rest for your soul. 
Jesus says, I come to restore your soul. Maybe a sheep without a shepherd, if you're in that situation. But know this, the good shepherd wants to restore your soul. Inwardly, you can be at peace. And the amazing thing is this, when you're a sheep under the care of the good shepherd, all hell can be breaking loose in your life. There can be chaos and turmoil and strife everywhere, but your soul can still be at peace and at rest because the good shepherd has restored your soul. So the good shepherd guides, he provides. Number three, the good shepherd corrects. Everybody say, my good shepherd corrects. This one may not feel like good news, especially if you're wandering away right now. But it truly is good news because the good shepherd loves you enough to correct you when you're wandering and in danger. Job knew this well. Job chapter 5, 17 and 18. Look, Look at the richness of this picture. He says this. He says, blessed is the one whom God corrects. Wow. What a statement. Blessed is the one whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Can you imagine if you're being corrected and you're like, praise God, I'm blessed. God's corrected me right now. I've never been that place. Never, never been able to appreciate it in the moment. But Job had a perspective that, that is deeper than mine. He recognized the blessing of God's correction. Now, um, I read about some loving shepherds who would do this. For a little lamb, if they have a a little lamb, a young lamb who habitually wanders off, not just like the first time, but time after time, this this lamb is wandering off. Now, if a lamb wanders away from the flock, they're putting themselves in a lot of danger. They're jeopardizing the fact that they could get lost and not be found. They're jeopardizing they could drown. And obviously they're jeopardizing wolves, cougars, bears, whatever type of predator is out there. So so the shepherd, if, if this little lamb habitually wanders off, he'll bring the lamb back. He'll take his rod, and the rod's about a two-foot-long stick. He'll take his rod, and he'll actually hit the lamb on one of his legs with the rod. And this seems incredibly cruel. Like, there's, there's the, the animal lover in me who's like, no, that's so wrong. But, but the shepherd knows that the, the sheep needs discipline and that he's going to respond to it. So what happens is the, the sheep's leg he, he is so wounded that he's dependent on the shepherd for a time. Now it's going to heal, and it heals up fine, and he's not, like, scarred for life. But, but in the process of the healing, now the, sheep take, or the shepherd takes the sheep and puts them up on his shoulders and, and carries them back to the flock and cares for him and nurtures him. And he knows I don't have to worry about this sheep wandering off for this next season. So he's going to get to know my voice. He's going to get to know my scent. He's going to get to know me uh, and as the sheep heals. And he gets back in with the, the general flock and in with everybody else. But he knows, man, the, sheep, the shepherd and the sheep actually become closer than any of the other sheep. It's the one who, who he had to punish who actually becomes the one who's closest to him. It's the one who almost becomes his pet, becomes teacher's pet, becomes the one that, that, that the shepherd and him have the deepest bond with because they've been through something together. Now, I don't think that God's out there beating people with sticks. Don't give me the wrong picture from what I'm saying. I, but, but, but I do believe that God disciplines us. He doesn't do it because he enjoys disciplining us. He doesn't do it because he hates you or he's mad at you. But he does it because he knows if I don't, you're going to get too far. You're going to be too far gone. And sometimes I got I to gotta bring you back to the flock. Sometimes I got to wake you up to the danger that you are exposing yourself to. I don't love the discipline of God. I've experienced it a few times. It's not my favorite thing in the world. But I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful that I got a shepherd who loves me enough that he would not let me get so far away from him that I'm too far gone. He loves me more than that. He wants me to be close 
to him for my protection, for my good. Now, now I'll be honest, nobody sits around thinking, oh, yes, God's disciplining me. The the few times that I've had to spank my son, and I don't enjoy it at all. The few times I've had to take Judah and and spank him. uh, Now, I, I should tell you this. We've taught Judah some real basics about worship like his his name means praise so we're like you're gonna be a worshiper kid like we're gonna throw everything into you that we can so so we asked Judah, okay how do we worship and he puts his, his two hands up and and now he, he's added to that now he's like Judah, how do we worship and he'll put his hands up and go woo right and, and it's awesome or you can just say Judah, woo and he'll go woo um and it's this great like adorably cute thing and I don't have any misconceptions that he actually knows what worship is yet but we're we're, we're building a foundation for him that we can build off of later um, and so when Judah does that, it, it, he's always got, like, the biggest grin on his face, and he's so happy, and he gets, like, the joy of worship. Now, I've never spanked Judah, and as soon as I spanked him, he got out of it and goes, woo! Right? Like, I've spanked him, and what happens? He's bawling. I'm bawling. Right? Like, I got this whole new understanding of it's going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. Right? Like, like we go through all that, and, and, and then I grab him, and I hug him, and I say, Daddy spanks you because he loves you. And then we pray, God, help Judah to to learn a lesson from this. So I don't ever have to spank him for this again because I don't enjoy this either, God. But I thank you that, that you love Judah. And so I, I, I give him that discipline, but discipline is not pleasurable for a moment. In fact, Hebrews 12, 11 puts it this way. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and of peace for those who've been trained by it. Our good shepherd is so loving that he loves us enough even to correct us to keep us out of future harm. So he guides, he provides, he corrects. And number four, lastly, as the worship team comes down, the good shepherd protects. The good shepherd protects. Psalm 23, four through six, David, himself a shepherd, out in the fields, watching over his sheep. God gives him a revelation of, of how God is like a shepherd. And David writes this down. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the good shepherd is with me. As long as God's with me, I got nothing to fear. As long as he's there, there's nothing that can harm me. How many of you know that when he's with you, you got nothing to fear? Nothing to fear. When he's with you, you're at rest in your soul. When he's with me, I know that he's, he's working in all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It says, I will feel no, no evil for you are with me. Your rod which again was, was a two feet long stick. It was primarily a weapon to scare off and to harm predators. That's why the, the, the shepherd kept the rod with him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The staff had a hook on it. It was a longer stick with a hook and it had a hook on it. And it, it, its purpose was to rescue a fallen sheep. Sheep was, was wedged into something. You could pull the sheep out with the hook and, and oftentimes it would be used even to comfort the sheep. The shepherd would actually pet the sheep with, with the hook and it was, it was a sign of his pleasure and, and, and his intimacy with the sheep. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What does this mean? Well, well sheep, again, were, were stanky, right? They're gross, still are. Uh, and, and so in this day and age, especially, fi- flies were everywhere. Flies were so prevalent around sheep that they start laying eggs in, in all kinds of places. In fact, oftentimes, they would go up a sheep's nostril and lay their eggs inside, inside the sheep's snout. And the, the, the baby flies, the gnats would be born, and not all of them would go south. Some of them would go north. And so the, the, they'd get up into the nasal cavity and sometimes even into the brain and drive a sheep crazy. In fact, sheep 
would be known to actually bang their head against rocks because they were so irritated by the flies. And many times they do damage or even end up killing themselves as they were banging their head against the rock. So, so he says, I anoint your head with oil. What was the anointing oil? It was fly repellent. I'm going to protect you from the things that irritate you. I'm going to protect you from the things that get up in here and mess with your head, from the things that drive you crazy. There was a purpose when he's saying, I'm going to anoint your head with oil. I'll, I'll take care of the things that irritate you. Then it says, my cup overflows. There was a tradition in, in Old Testament Middle Eastern households that, that if you came over to our house for dinner, <coughs> the way that I told you the party isn't over yet and you're welcome is I'd keep your, your cup full of wine. If, if we let your cup hit zero for any length of time, that was a sign, okay, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get out of here. But, but as long as your cup was full of wine, man, we're glad that you're here. Stay, stay, keep, stay with us. Be around us. So when David says, my cup overflows, what's he saying? He's saying, I am always welcome in the presence of my God. I'm always welcome around him. My cup is overflowing. Then he says, surely your goodness and your love will follow me, overtake me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He protects us. He protects us. Come on. This doesn't mean that you'll never fall upon physical harm because God protects you. It doesn't even mean you'll never fall upon spiritual harm or emotional harm. But it does mean that, that God has stored up for you an inheritance that will never rot, that will never perish, that will never spoil or fade. And the good shepherd is the one that lays down his life for his sheep. In fact, I've got one last scripture to share with you today. In Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, you don't have to turn there. I'm not even going to read from it. I just want to reference it. Jesus tells one other parable about sheep. In fact, we see sheep again many, many other times in Scripture. But he says that the good shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. Maybe you're here today and you're the one. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, this message is for me. I, every once in a while, somebody will tell me, man, it was like you just been, like you hung out with me all week. Like you were right there with everybody. Like, it's like, man, did my wife call you this week? Because everything you said was right what we went through. And it's like, no, your wife did not call me. Um, thankfully, I've never had to lie in that situation. I don't know what I would say if it was true. But, uh, but I've never had somebody tell me that when I did know what was going on. Um, but, but every once in a while, somebody will say that. And, and here's the thing. That ain't me. It's the Holy Spirit. That's God speaking right to you. And if you feel today like God's speaking right to you, can I just say you might be the one that's maybe wandered away a little bit, the one who's putting himself in jeopardy, the one who's, who's in harm's way. And Jesus loves you so much that he'll leave 99 to go chase after you, to pursue you, to find you, to rescue you. You are that sheep that needs a shepherd. You're the one. There, there was a, a literature class in college, and the literature professor actually brought Psalm 23 and he wanted to study it from a literature perspective. And he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these few verses, and, and we're each going to read them. And I'm going to read them first kind of dramatically, and then I'm, we're going to go around the room, and everybody's going to read them. And we're going to kind of read in to this literature. And so the professor, he begins, and, and, he, and he goes, and he's like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he goes through the whole thing in the King James, and it's powerful, and it's moving, and it's dramatic. And, and it's so good that at the end of it, the literature class just applauds. That's awesome, professor. And so then he points to the kid on the front row, and he says, okay, you're going to go first. And everybody in the class knew that kid was a Christian, and, and he was pretty shy. Because, you know, it's, it's, you know, 
mostly shy kids that sit on the front seat. The, the kids that talk all the time, they sit in the back because they want to get as far away from the teacher as possible. It's the quiet kids who sit up front. So, so he calls out the kid on the front row, and he's like, hey, I want you to go first. And this kid's trembling. He doesn't like being in front of the class. He doesn't like opening his mouth and being heard. And, and he gets up, and he begins to read the psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he doesn't get past that statement. And he begins to remember when God provided for him when he was in need. And he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He begins to be overwhelmed with emotion. And he could barely get it all out through the tears. And, and, and by the time that he was done reading, nobody clapped. Because the class was all in tears as well. And the professor looked at him as he got done reading Psalm 23. And, and he looked at the class and he said, well, there you have it, class. You see, I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. We don't come and open the word of God and and study his word so that we can simply know the psalm. God put it there so that we can know the shepherd. And when you know the shepherd, it changes everything. When you know the shepherd, you see things differently. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. And he's a good father. He guides us. He protects us. He corrects us. He loves us. Why? Because he is a good, good, good shepherd. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me today? Father God, I thank you.